Welcome. Fancy new technology given to me by the government. My big brain makes me so attractive. I want to read through Lord of the Rings. I haven't yet. I, I feel kind of ashamed. Thanks for stopping by. I just heard Caleb flailing around with his tongue. Do this or I'll kill you. It's like you were going to kill me anyway. You're an executioner. To see. Brian has ascended. He is a god. What's up? They would say, oh, you think you're cute? Well, I think this bullet's also pretty cute. Pow! In Brian's attic. Or do we need to whip ourselves and cry? Hey, Bobby, step up. Boom! Bobby's head falls on the floor. You can really download it. You can really download it. <laughs> you can really download it. supposed channel. to not actually be like did say in for love. did it say like, for like, which character specifically there's two characters that like are attracted to each other but haven't done anything at that point in the point in the book that apparently the show is starting what and what show the, wheel the of lord time. of the rings one no wheel of time they made two characters intimate that weren't didn't get together for a while like in the first episode of wheel of time apparently or one of the first episodes. no they don't get together at all they don't nope wonder who told me that uh, uh, some guy who probably hasn't watched the show or read the book <laughs> Also, the problem you run into with adaptations for um, well, uh, television okay. series is you, the production you've values. Watched the, you've watched that first episode, right? No. Oh, you haven't watched any of The Wheel of Time? No, I'm not really interested. Oh, I, so you don't care if I tell you what it go was. Go for it. Okay, yeah. so the, the characters, Moron, <laughs> Moraine <laughs> and Lon, uh, are, are two major characters, but they're not love interests at, at any point as far as I've gotten, which is through book three. And I think Andrew could confirm whether they're they become love interests or not they, at all. They don't. They don't. Um, but in the first episode, <laughs> Moraine is in a bathtub, okay, and then all of a sudden, what? Lon comes in, fully like, fully nude, and uh, but you only see his back. But he gets in the tub with her. Okay, that's what I heard. So that's why and, I was confused. And apparently, right? Moraine is like sitting Geralt of Rivia style. Which okay, is really weird. Yeah. And, like, dude, uh, what are you doing? And so <laughs> it was weird when he was doing me, it too. Me, Olivia, and Stephen <laughs> and Gwyneth are watching this the show together. And Olivia says, "Are they are they married?" <laughs> and, and I'm like, "No, they don't even. They're not even love interests. It's so bizarre." Yeah, I TV show adaptations of books. If they're not like the, the reason why HBO is good for Game of Thrones is the production values could be higher. Um, because you you have to. Well, and there aren't it, terribly intense special effects starting out in yeah, the first yeah. book. But I, I guess what like, I'm saying there's not a lot of fancy magic that happens, unlike uh, Wheel of Time, you know, like Wheel of Time, where but, you do but, have magical things that happen. TV show adaptations. Um, some things happen in the first book. Have but. different, uh, you could say, problems than adaptations to film because film generally has a bigger budget, but they're problems are time constraint and having to cut out more material um production we got an value. intro for our, our part two episode welcome to brian's attic i'm brian i'm andrew i'm caleb and this is part two of us talking about dune though we started out talking about the wheel of time show <laughs> <laughs> yeah but production value is a real problem with television series unless they get a second season and then normally the adaptation like people are like oh we could make it we can make a lot of money out of this franchise so now we're gonna start you know actually caring about production value that's just how it goes because they're like, well, why yeah, I mean, it's always going to be an investment of some kind. But Amazon apparently put a lot of money. And they're always going to think about their ROI. How much was Wheel of Time? How much? Expensive, was... but not as expensive as the Lord of the Rings show they're making. 
Here we go. How much Which did it cost? Which will probably be even worse. Probably, yes. Which is kind of depressing to think about. It costs 80 million to make overall, the Wheel of Time show. Look at the Lord of the Rings one, too. What a waste. What uh, a waste. So, I was... Just read the books, 10 million per uh, 10 million per episode, because it's like a limited series. There's only eight episodes. That's actually uh, a lot the, of money. The Wheel of Time? Yeah. The yeah. first, yeah. That, that's a lot of money, because Mandalorian is uh, 15 million for production value. Um, That's a lot of money, because generally speaking... Hey, listen, just, Disney doesn't have Amazon money, I guess. As TV shows go, generally well, didn't speaking... didn't he say it was 10 million per episode for the Wheel of Time? Yeah. yeah. But Mandalorian is 15 million? Oh, per episode. Yeah. I thought it was all together. No, 80 million per ep or per the season. But it's it's generally speaking, each episode of Star Trek Next Generation, which was considered to be a lot of money at the time, uh, cost $2 million to make. Um, of course, they had 22 episode seasons. Inflation adjusted? Um, yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, inflation adjusted. Uh, but average television shows would run like, or run like a million dollars per episode. Um, so when you start breaking out like 10 million, 15 million, I, the, the Lord of the Rings series is going to be super expensive. Yeah, it's of course they've they've front loaded a lot a lot of their costs, so subsequent seasons will be cheaper. I was gonna say but the Lord of the Rings show that is depends the one on that how they many actually, seasons they are gonna. Um, it'll be the most expensive season of television ever produced with a massive four hundred sixty-five million dollar budget. Yeah, that is insane. Um, but but they uh, I guess what I was gonna say too is uh, they were the ones who si hired the uh, sexual sex scene right. coordinator from Game of Thrones. I got right. the two confused. And then the bath when you said sexual stunt coordinator, I was like, that sounds <laughs> like, dude, I don't even want to know. You can stop talking right it's now, just Caleb. A pervert who yeah. comes in the room and he's like ah go over there in that position that <laughs> right, that, that's, enough. That, that's enough uh, that's why i said you can stop talking now caleb no but it's crazy that that's a role but it, i guess it is in hollywood so yeah sure why not i mean so we all know uh, harvey weinstein <laughs> so before we get back to doing the guy's in a walker now have you seen that guy like that guy <laughs> needs a walker to go around now oh speaking of harvey weinstein he was involved in the production for the hobbit uh, among among other studios, he, he's, he's also a that, villain in Black Widow. The the, the, the villain oh. in Black Widow, like you should I never, never see that it. film because it's like atrocious. Um, but uh, the main villain is definitely Harvey Weinstein, just like, like the, the villain from Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four is supposed to be Donald Trump. Pretty much, it's the same. It's yeah. a one on one type, or you know, pretty yeah. much a one to one comparison. So he's like the most expendable resource in this world is girls. Like that's oh, actually dear. a line in the in oh, the film. Oh yeah, I, I, I remember remember that yeah yeah it is I, so no, I never watched bad. it but i remember hearing about that line i didn't wow that sounds so that's such a bad line that's terrible yeah. oh it is some of the dialogue at the end is like some of the worst dialogue i've ever seen on screen so oh, it's uh, you've ever seen on screen like harvey weinstein <laughs> oh i thought you're just gonna make a joke about seeing dialogue oh i guess if Only you have subtitles, subtitles on, on. <laughs> yeah. you would see the dialogue closed captioning baby so something i've i've noticed uh about movie production is pretty much when something goes terribly wrong when a movie just ends up bad it's either because they didn't have time mm -hmm. or there was a difference of opinion and that couldn't be settled uh, like like they, they didn't have the proper direction it, you know too many chiefs and not enough indians kind of thing <laughs> and so is that kosher <laughs> well it's a phrase and i'm one 32nd indian so i guess i can use it native <laughs> american sorry <laughs> 
So, wow, just sorry. <laughs> I can't take that phrase. No, I, I get your point. I was going to say Spectre was a film. And for some reason, when I want to say, when I say Spectre, I always think <laughs> Sphincter. But it is. Why? <laughs> but anyway, um, that film was being written on the set. They were what? writing. Oh, the Hobbit? No, no, no. Spectre. Oh, like the I don't film. know. I'm James not Bond. familiar with it. It's a James Bond it. film. It's one of the Daniel Craig films. Oh, it was being okay. written gotcha. while they were on set. That four? I believe so. Cause there's, the one after Skyfall? Yeah, the forgettable one immediately after Skyfall because everybody's Literally like... Literally the, the one I forgot about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people do because it was so out. bad. But like, How do you even fit even the 007 that. in the logo with, with that? There's no O in that. Imagine being a screenwriter title. and just being on the set of a movie and being like, okay, this is what we need to do in this scene. Like, let me let me uh, erase here and change this around and, oh, that looks better. Okay, we're good. Uh, write the next scene. It's like, that is awful. And the right. studio is pushing the people like, we need this film out by this date. And that guy's just in the trailer just writing what should happen next. Like, I can't even imagine on how On that, that topic, is. so because of this realization or this thought process I was having, uh, I, I was thinking, so what went so wrong with the Hobbit movies? Peter Jackson because didn't it, care. He was cashing in. That was it. That's, that's that, what I'm... I, for somebody who did so well on The Lord of the Rings, sure, he did things differently. But when you watch stuff about how they made the Lord of the Rings, you think, what? Like, th this doesn't, it, it, it's incongruent. And so, I learned, first off, they were gonna, it was, Peter Jackson didn't want to. It, it might have been just, like, more work than he wanted. So, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't care about the production. Like, about the product itself. Like, The Hobbit. Doing justice to the book. But, he wasn't originally gonna do it. It was gonna be Guillermo, uh, Guillermo del, del Toro. Toro. Tongue-tied. Uh, who, when you hear him talk about making it, like, I want to see his version of The Hobbit. Uh, but apparently there was some kind of difference of opinion, it seems. And Why did he uh, stretch it? He he made the decision to stretch to three films. I just looked that up. It wasn't Peter the Jackson studio. Did. Yeah, which is like, yeah. that's insane, because I would have thought that he would have said... very strange. Mm. Uh, and so, after Del Toro left, uh, Peter Jackson kind of gets thrown into it. And... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I was watching Lindsay Ellis's video essays on the, the subject, mm -hmm. and she's got like this three-part series that goes into some detail that really explains it pretty much. Uh, and But anytime she shows Peter Jackson working on it, there are shots of him just looking soulless and bored. Not really bored, just... Uh, not well, uh, kind of navel gazing. What's a good term for it? Soulless. Soulless, but you need you, the one too. Oh well. Well, imagine the come down from doing Busy Lord of the work. Rings. Critically acclaimed, financially successful. You're coming he off looks. Those he movies. looks like he received the Dementor's kiss, essentially. Oh wow. Uh, lifeless. <laughs> lifeless and so didn't he just want to direct the king kong film and that's why he did or is that just like a well a he did shit? but that was like 10 years well I, I guess five years prior to enervated that. yeah i don't and mind then you have the five studios that are all involved in the movie whereas <laughs> oh, there was only one five before. studios Battle actually that's what her second episode is called oh okay it's it's you know, what went wrong with The Hobbit, part two, Battle of the Five Studios. That is atrocious. Because one uh, studio is Is there is anything bad. else you'd like to recommend from your girlfriend, Brian? What? <laughs> he seemed to like this Lindsay Ellis character a lot. It's literally like the only videos. I, I don't really... 
watch her videos all that much. Okay. It's just she did an okay job. Sure. Um, I wanted. I just to... know she's literary. Speaking of her channel, person. I, I did want to bring up. I I've noticed that this is a big conversation pivot. So is there anything else you'd like to say? Yes, there is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up and wait. I really want to bring it up. So uh, Harvey Weinstein was one of those studios that um, was involved, which I. He is his own studio. I mean, uh, apparently he was good He's at his job. He his was just studio. also bad at being a good person. Uh, He's good at being fat. <laughs> okay. Uh, fat shaming people now? <laughs> sure, okay. why not? I'll do it. So, Have you seen my gut? No, of course you uh, haven't. So apparently no, I'm, as I well, myself. they almost pulled the Hobbit movies out of New Zealand. Like they weren't going to film them anymore. What? Because there was this, the, the essentially the New Zealand equivalent of an actor's guild of sorts was trying to obtain more civil liberties, I guess, and, and fair treatment as far as wages and, and whatnot goes. Which, from what I gather, they're lower than the U.S. And so that's kind of what incentivizes a company to make movies in New Zealand. And so... Wheel of Time was filmed there. Uh, Warner Bros. No, Czech Republic. Okay, Warner Bros. almost pulled the, the movie out of New Zealand, but the New Zealand government made some kind of deal and it worked out poorly for the New Zealanders and whatnot. Uh, and, and it just Sounds goes to right. show that, yeah, there was this a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes that was just chaotic. And also... I, now, I don't know why they did this, but they they essentially threw away all of Del Toro's work, uh, like all of the preparation for his version of the Hobbit movie. And we're, like you said, with Spectre, essentially making the movie on the spot, pretty much. Uh, it's oh, like the Rise okay. of Skywalker. Um, that happened to Rise so, of Skywalker, apparently. Uh, uh, probably. There, uh, no, there's a completely different script that wasn't used because they lost their probably director been better. and somebody else came back. Oh, it was a much better script because it's all been leaked like on the internet. And it actually made sense. Like they actually went oh, back yeah. to Coruscant. The only one that I heard that got leaked was the one where Ray was the Emperor's granddaughter, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is so bad that this can't be the actual movie." And then it got released, and that was the actual. No, movie. no, no, no. Like, like Finn actually led a stormtrooper rebellion. There's actually you mean Finn like, actually had a character arc and yeah, story he actually line. had a character arc. Um, he wasn't uh, just saying Ray the whole time. Involved throughout um, the movie. It involved the past Jedi more to where it wasn't just like a at the end like let's chuck it in and like I, I like you'll just have to look up the script sometime. I don't want to go too much into detail, but like details. But it was a much. It felt like a ending of all nine films rather than just like a slap together. Right, right. Instead know. of the ending of a trilogy, it was the ending of the saga. Mm -hmm. uh, and even the ending to the trilogy was more like the ending of you know a sad whimper. Uh, so uh, Lindsay Ellis, she in her second video that she actually went to New Zealand and interviewed one of the actors, New Zealand actors who played one of the dwarves in The Hobbit. And he talked about how uh, on on the set, they would get all up in their makeup and then they would wait for hours. And, and some days they may not have even done anything. That's how bad the planning was on the movie, which it's like when you hear about it, it's like, oh, man. And then I what really what really depressed me is when as i was like obviously this this just goes to show it's like well it would have been better if the hobbit movies just had never been made at all but uh she happened to make a remark about how the the hobbit is difficult to make into a movie partially because it's very episodic mm -hmm. and also it's even harder to split such a small book into not only two movies but three movies it's kind of ridiculous what to expect especially when each movie has to have its own you know beginning middle and end and then do that three times within this one small book splitting it up 
But when she remarked about how it being episodic, I just had this vision of an alternate universe where instead of making a Hobbit movie or a Hobbit trilogy, they made a Hobbit miniseries where each kind of episode was one of their like little shenanigans that they get into and escape. And I just want that version of the Hobbit so much more now. But then when you look at Wheel of Time, does that <laughs> give you any? Well, and, and if you think about it, think about how well it could have done if that's the way it no. happened. Yeah. It would have been a competitor or an alternative. Not It doesn't even have to be a competitor. It would just have to be a, or it could be a, a, a PG-13 related uh, rated alternative to Game of Thrones because it would have ha- come out around the same time as Game of Thrones and been kind of a comparable... I, I, uh, I, mean, I, I will say that's why, that's why the but... first season of The Witcher, like, I mean, the stuff that didn't work was the connective tissue, but the actual individual stories... Um, um, and individual episodes worked pretty well because well, it the, was based off a collection of short stories. The characters were really good in the... That's what they did well. Yeah, characters Whereas, and the short story yeah. elements. Um, because because that's how... It, uh, uh, when the books were written, it was literally like years before the actual series began to be written. The short stories existed on their own for a hot minute, like five years, five or ten years. I forgot how much. Um, and then he was like, oh, it's popular. I'm going to write the series. You know, like the Witcher books did not come out a long time ago at all. They're relatively recent. Um, I think the, what was the first, when did the last wish come out? 1993. Yeah. So we're talking like this series isn't very old at all. Um, I, but yeah, Hobbit miniseries would have captured, could have captured the essence of the Hobbit. I did want to mention though, um, what are your guys' thoughts? That sounds weird. The essence of on, the Hobbit. <laughs> on okay, I, I believe that there's a certain group of YouTubers who are critics, right? Um, they, there's lots of those. They, they review. They like to think of themselves as critics. Well, they review media, um, and they talk about their reviews as artistic endeavor, which there is an extent to where that is true. But I wanted to talk about this concept because I was playing around with it in my head to see what your guys' thoughts are, but. I also see a lot of people who just their sole purpose is reviewing other media and they basically sometimes elevate their reviews to the level of the media they're reviewing in the sense of like you'll have a YouTuber who talks about Dune and then like when they, they talk make about, it well or well, are you saying they're pompous enough to compare their reviews pompous. and think of them of equivalent okay yeah and I see that a lot actually that you know because they'll make videos about like oh my creative endeavor and this and that I'm not trying to invalidate people who review stuff or saying that there's no creativity there but I just I find it really odd uh, because sometimes people will like be reviewing a film and they'll be like the way this was shot was terrible I even do this in my video and it's like it's just like not that you can't criticize people who are or big studio productions or indie indie films either but I just find it very funny that there's like a lot of YouTubers that are just like right. webcam YouTubers that are you know talking about these productions as if them recording on their webcam in their office by themselves yeah the difficulty is with like YouTube is an that equivalent artistic it's difficult to verify the, the specific YouTuber's uh, competency in the, the, the field that they're speaking about. At least if someone has a degree in a field, they've got, they've got the paper, which shows that they've done work. Now, you know, if it's depending on the school or the degree or you know, the, the education system itself, it may degrade its reputation to where that piece of paper doesn't mean as much anymore. It's like if, if you're graduating a whole bunch of students that aren't, they turn out to be terrible workers, like they don't actually know what they're supposed to be doing, then you've devalued that piece of paper and what it's supposed to mean. Well, how many film students end up being YouTube critics? Right. I don't you know, know. think I don't about know. that. How many people who go to school 
school for film and production end up becoming like YouTube critics that shill for big movies. Right. You know, I didn't. Now it's you just have a lot of enthusiasts because like Shadowversity is an enthusiast, but he loves the subject to the point to where he he'll actually mm-hmm. read. Um, I, I gather that he reads actual scholarly works on the matter, like like his, his mm-hmm. uh, like Hema. But he's the exception to the rule. The the, the what, historical. Uh, I don't remember what the E stands for. Martial arts. I don't remember what the E stands for. Anyway, medieval sword fighting, essentially. And um, oh, you go ahead. No, I was just going to... I feel like that's one of the reasons why his channel's refreshing, because whatever he brings criticisms towards a piece of film or a piece of literature, um, he's right. well-versed in what he's talking about. Um, and he's not referential necessarily to other pieces of literature or film unless it's pertinent to conversations, you know? I, like, And so I guess he... I wouldn't categorize him as somebody who is necessarily like a bad example. I think he's a good example. Right. Of what well, and he also be because he's not taking the perspective of I'm a director. He's taking the perspective of I'm right. a fan of medieval weaponry. I've researched it. He's it's my specialization sure to talk about so what talk he about knows that within. And he's sure to explain why he believes what he believes, which is what is lacking. I think with a lot of the the I was actually telling Olivia the other day said, you know, YouTube is just full of sophists. And she's like, what does that mean? Uh, and I was like, well, people who think they know what they're talking about but don't, or who like to sound like they know what they're talking about, which you could argue includes us. I think Andrew's falling asleep. <laughs> I know. That, that's, the, that's the negative sound, or that's the negative part of the platform, though. I, I, I think that in the past, you had to actually have talent in order to write, to have visibility, but now... I think you do have to have talent to... have absolutely to no... To get people to see you, but... Mm-hmm. That does not mean that, like, that is talent at what you're doing. Like, you are, essentially, they are good performers. Regardless of whether they know Mm -hmm. what they're talking about, they're, at the very least, good at convincing people they know what they're talking about. As far as the the really well-known ones. Now, there are a lot of ones that aren't quite as big, Mm -hmm. who don't have as big of an audience, and so they're also not quite as good at convincing people, but... In the past, would you think that, like, let's let's take it back, very low. All you have to have is a camera and a mic microphone and a face think about 1600s or 1700s uh, even then i guess you don't really have to have um, a face because you could just have a uh, the camera doesn't even have to be on you I guess, I guess it'd be more common, or it's always been more common, to have reviews of great literature than to have great literature produced. You know, I wonder what the ratio would be if you're just talking about books post-printing press. Like, how many books were written that were commentaries on great works compared to how many great works there are, you know? And I guess it'd be the same thing with film or movies. You know, you're, you're not going to have as many movies that are like Dune, that are like super entertaining, super fantastic. Um, you're going to have more videos associated with that property than actual films like that. Right. If you know what I mean. Um, so I guess it's just maybe more visible because of the internet, but I, I, I guarantee if you went back and researched that there was a lot of books written on, like, when Gull- Gulliver's Travels was released, like, there's a ton of newspaper articles that were written, like, this book's terrible, or this book's great, or, you know, it's just that now it's like, since YouTube's one of our main forms of ingesting media, that's what we see all the time, you know? And I like some of the videos, right? Like, we were talking about, we talked about how we'd watched different videos on YouTube describing how Dune was mm-hmm. produced, how the production design went, what was done. Like, those ones are cool Good for job me, on bringing it back to the Dune. Director, that was kind of a long of a film steps in. Started by me, but... Yeah, but, you know, when a director st- when a director steps in and says, this is how I did this, it's like, oh, that's interesting, that's fascinating. Or an actor says, this is how I tried to yeah. play this role. 
I, I you think know, you'll, this is what I was going for. It's always helpful when you can know the why behind the choice. That makes it easier to accept because you know that there is a why. Whereas something like mm -hmm. the Hobbit trilogy, it's like, why is this the case? Well, <laughs> okay, it does depend on what the why is. If the why is, oh, there were five studios competing for their own personal opinions on, you know, what how the story should go or what they want in the story. Oh, they wanted a love triangle in the story, so we're going to put it in. Well, that's a stupid why. That was an executive. You oh, know yeah. that had to have oh, been yeah. an executive saying, we need a love. Yeah. It, it, the problem is, too, the sad part is those films, because of name recognition, made a ton of money. So it's like, did this, is the studio actually going to learn from their mistake? You know what I mean? Like, that's, I mean, that's I the unfortunate know. part of that. You know, the movie's also I don't think the consumer's stupid because well. Dune did well. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the profit margin was for the Hobbit films, you know? But like, when movies like Dune succeed, was everybody's Hobbit happy. A success? But then there's... All On a domestic and worldwide stage, the three films... Commercial trilogy success. cost around 765 million to produce and made 2.916 billion worldwide. Okay, yeah, yeah about I would say three yes. billion dollars made at a quarter. Uh, yeah, a quarter of the cost. That's absurd. And you see, the problem is with the global marketplace too. There's going to be dumb films that do well in certain regions of the world, like like Kong. Like like I I like Kong versus I Godzilla, it. but it's not like high art, you know. Mm -hmm. But it did. Oh, it's super fun. It's the dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life. But it's just like stupid. Stupid, super fun. Um, but it did really well yeah. in the Chinese market. And so even if it did poorly domestically, because people were well, like, maybe I don't also difficult want to watch to it because I want to watch something more highbrow. Because it's difficult over the course of time because for a long, like the, the Hollywood, Hollywood is growing. And for a long time, the... Uh, I would say the Chinese market, in essence. It's as Hollywood gets bigger and its influence grows and people want to see more movies from Hollywood. Of course, I don't want to overemphasize, you know, American value because, I mean, I don't think Hollywood is all that great. But you could see, oh, Marvel yeah. movies are pretty big. People, there are people in China that want to see them. Well, if for a long time they weren't available there, well, that's an entire market that's not even being tapped. And so Billions of people. once you start making movies that are distributed in certain areas that were not distributed before well it's going to be very easy to say that it was more successful but the problem is that you don't know how much more successful those other movies would have been if they also had been released way back when they were released in that market uh, there is a creative course, i don't know precisely too, if that's how it works I'm, listen to I'm theorizing how a movie who which is yeah. nominally successful or even objectively makes you know triple the money it costs money it's difficult to compare it to another movie that i would consider good like alita battle angel did not do very good uh, uh domestically but it did very well in in china because that's a, a movie that appeals much more to that audience um one of the 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 create the problem there's a problem that with uh, uh as you open up the marketplace for films to to a greater audience then it, it, it tends to be studios tend to make the movie less specific to the audience it's like there's no targeted audience and some movies become more and more generic as right. well, right? Because if you are in a basically making an, a film for an American audience, then there's going to be certain things that like are probably more catered towards the audience. Um, but if you make a film that's meant for global audiences, you are limiting yourself and what you can and can't do because distribution. So there's also a issue with films as well where... Um, I think that there's a lot of like un uniqueness that's being lost um, as films become more like global, like globalization. Act. Oh, oh, you got it. <laughs> no, you're good.
But globalization has actually made filmmaking like worse in in certain ways, I would say. What do you think, Andrew? What I think I think <laughs> that Caleb a had a lot of interesting, of profound things to say. I'm sure they were important. I'm not this is the first episode we ever had a, a member yeah, of I'm sorry. the attic fall asleep. I was had, Stephen had fell like asleep. a frosty and a brownie covered in peanut butter. He didn't have any cake like I did, but Oh man. He had Arby's, is what he had. Wendy's. Right. I don't know why I said Arby's. Wendy's. Not a sponsor. Andrew wouldn't be an Arby's guy. There's no way. <laughs> not a sponsor. So, we didn't talk much about Dune in, in this episode. We just talked about how horrible yes, the Hobbit's production was. was somewhat connected. It was connected to the last episode because of comparing, you know, production quality and the essence of something. But I really did want to share just how depressed I was about how the Hobbit uh, could could have been so much more and how wonderful it would could be if it were a mini series as opposed to uh the, the the trash trilogy well dennis brought over everybody speaking of dune though in the positive Denny. element dennis brought his team from blade runner 2049 or Denny from blade runner 2049 and arrival yeah. like it was the same people so if you're talking about a smooth production dune had one yeah. of the most smooth productions. he reminds me a like, lot I've of heard, christopher like, nolan in the the <laughs> fact that he is interested in making art like he, he actually has a passion for the, the the field yeah the, the craft. craft itself which i suppose you could say what movie director doesn't jj abrams they have no there's a lot that are yeah. shells aaj -A abrams and like yep i'm gonna make star trek as generic as possible make Rianne it into Johnson. generic let, action let's, movie let's put it this way they all have their own interest in the field but they are most of them are not interests corporate interests like let's put it this way all of them like movies clearly but just something uh, they're forced to make no they like different aspects of movies michael bay likes big explosions jj abrams explosions i'm not sure uh, but jj <laughs> abrams is a director who loves no, he, he, he likes loves, terrible he loves reveals. lying to his audience that's what he likes Oof. Oof. He also loves oh MacGuffins. Yes, um, daggers. Ancient daggers that, you know, just happen to point exactly where you need it to when you the move the hilt. The Death Star. And you just happen to be standing in the right spot that's shaped like the Death It's so... The it's, Sith Wayfinder it's that you so just took up to your TIE Fighter with three cables. to match the shape of the Death Star that was destroyed like 30 years ago. That's how old I, it is. I lost complete... I lost complete... I lost complete interest in the film when he was like, I found the ancient Sith Wayfinder. And then he just has like two cables and he hooks him up to the side and he's like all right what now about the I know part where they killed the beloved character like, the and then Sith did planet twice three times oh the fake that was out yeah. so bad the, they that faked so... out chewy they faked out three c3po kylo ren or when kylo ren's tie fighter explodes I don't, I don't remember how he, the, like, the he's death... perfectly okay how, he's not the... even scratched kylo ren does die at the end right yeah he does but that's because he but Ray stabs him and he dies right. earlier, but she brings him yeah, back to and, life. And then, and then when she gets injured, so he heals her. And he dies. Right, he heals her and then he does And die. then the yeah. whole... Oh, so dumb. The whole Carrie Fisher died, so we got to have him bring Harrison Ford back for this one scene. Yeah. So Kylo Force can ghost, but not a Force ghost because he's in color and not just blue. Yeah. Um... Yep. So, how much did Harrison Ford get for like the five not minutes of screen millions. time? I um, guarantee that conversation enough. was like, not enough. No, they're probably like, we're going <laughs> to bring you back. They're like, we're going to bring you back for the third movie. He's like, I want it well, out. That's he why he wanted you killed to me. die. He's like, and, 
He talked about how the only like progression left that the only thing that the only progression that he thought that the character of Han Solo had left was for him to die. Like that was. He also said in an interview that he came back. They're like, "Why did you come back?" I forgot which talk show he's on, and he said the money, and like I'm everybody sure was it's laughing. True. <laughs> they're waiting for him to, and he's like, "No, it's <laughs> it's totally true." Oh no, man. But I was gonna say the Christopher Nolan and uh, Denis Villeneuve. I think actual actually like the the, the movie itself. Like uh, the like Christopher Nolan likes film, actual film, mm-hmm. filming on film. He loves IMAX and the quality that it brings to the the visuals of the movies that he directs. And so he wants to use an IMAX mm-hmm. camera as often as he possibly can, and that drives a lot of the shots that he does. And because of that, he innovates on IMAX cameras like for Tenet he they they manufactured a way for them to film with an IMAX camera in reverse because if you're using film you can't just reverse the the I mean I guess you could when you scan it reverse uno card it because he talked about the process for how they fit visual effects into uh their shots because obviously visual effects are done on a computer and so what they have to do is they shoot it on film, they scan all the film into a computer, they, I guess they composite it all together, and then they like print it out onto film again. That's crazy. Uh, that, that's a very care, simplified care version was... of what I think he was saying. But apparently to him it's worth it. Also, yeah. both both Christopher just... Nolan yeah. and Denis Villeneuve get their sound and music people involved very early on because they recognize that these are important elements that need time to develop along with the movie. And what's cool about the way they direct, from what I know, at least for Christopher Nolan, I know a little bit more about how he he makes a film than uh, Villeneuve. Uh, he will, Christopher Nolan, will take feedback and incorporates the way he makes a movie really seems like a team effort because he will talk with his oh, actors. The new, like even though he does the same thing, writes the script that. most of the time or co-writes the script, he will work with the actors about how that character is played and kind of what's going on behind the scenes. So they talked about John David Washington, his character as the protagonist in Tenet, and how his, his character is much more, like, he's supposed to be James Bond, essentially. Uh, the That's what Tenet is, kind of an homage to James Bond movies. But the difference is that the protagonist in the movie is a very, he, he's, he's not very, he's a very optimistic character, has a much more positive view on the world, and is always talking about, you know, I don't work that way, you know, we got to make sure that we're going to get everyone out safe. I, I'm not saying that James Bond will just abandon his children in the burning building or anything, but you want to the, the, the protagonist girl. seems like a much more hopeful character, uh, and, well, despite what he ex- experiences throughout the movie. And it's just interesting because they, um, John David, it wasn't just Christopher Nolan saying, oh, here's how I want you to play this character. They both came to that conclusion. And so that's something I love about the way Christopher Nolan makes a movie. It's that it's, it's a work in progress up until it's made. Until then, he... And not a work in progress when it's being made. <laughs> to go back to our right, earlier Right, right. Uh, yeah. It's just stuff is subject to change, and it, it it's iterative. It's an iterative process. So I think we've talked about what's terrible with the industry. And very little about the industry. Dune. But the real question is, but really the question is, is Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back for the new Spider-Man film? Is that fake footage? Is no that idea. real footage? I'm, I'm really am not all that invested in it. I am also not invested in it. Um, this has been Join us Brian's next time attic. to see what's up in Brian's attic. No, get out of my attic. Hey.
get out of Andrew's attic. What are you doing there? The podcast doesn't play. T- get out podcast of Andrew's doesn't attic. take Why place in Andrew's there? attic. What are you doing? Wait, there's people in your attic? Call the police. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brian's Attic. And of course, a special thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support Brian's Attic, head over to patreon.com slash Brian's Attic, or use the link in the description.